Each week on this podcast, we try our hardest to make the pivot to paid a new term everyone throws around like they did the pivot to video. Well, we at Digiday like to match our actions with our words. And that's why I want you to join Digiday Plus, our membership program that gives you unique content and unique access. About 20% of our content is now available only to Digiday Plus members, and that is unique analysis and unique research that we conduct. Digiday Plus costs most people $395 a year, but since you listen to this podcast, we want to give you a discount. If you use podcast at checkout, you will get 20% off. So just go to digiday.com and you will see the plus tab in the menu bar. Please subscribe. This helps us continue to grow our team and prove that sustainable media models that we talk about on this podcast every week are very much possible. Thank you. You will hear many pundits say scale is dead in digital media. Well, not so fast. There are lots of reasons that a scale approach to publishing doesn't work well in an era when deep connections to passionate audiences matter most. But scaled models can absolutely work with, yes, ad-driven business models. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. Today, I talk with Michael Kuntz, the Chief Operating Officer and Digital Ad Executive from USA Today Network. Michael and I discuss the case for scale and why consolidation is inevitable in the media industry and much, much more. Hope you enjoy it. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so explain for everyone what your role is at Gannett, because Gannett's, it's, there's a local side and then there's a national side. Yep, absolutely. The, the demarcation is pretty much what you just mentioned. So my team oversees our national advertising business, which uh, is the group that's responsible for being out in the marketplace, working with big brand advertisers, agencies to sell across the entirety of the USA Today network. What that means is Obviously, USA Today is our big national brand that sits at the center of the network, but then we own north of 100 local properties in addition to a number of sports-owned and operated sites as well that sit off-platform and aren't necessarily tied to USA Today sports. Mm -hmm. But a lot of newspaper. A lot of newspaper. However, our business within national sales, unlike our colleagues on the local side of Gannett, um, at this point is about 75% driven by digital advertising revenue. Okay, so there was a drumbeat of of layoff news, unfortunately, at the beginning of the year. Gannett Mm -hmm. was was one of those in that group. Um, Was that on the national side or local side or both? Uh, more so on the local side of our business. And, um, you know, you, you would certainly imagine that that part of our business is still very much tied to local print advertising revenue. And so um, as that part of the business continues to shift and evolve, and frankly, the local, um, you know, infrastructure to support our business uh, evolves, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be situations where we're forced to make some of those tougher decisions. Mm -hmm. On the national side, um, we have actually made investment in that business, uh, both from a headcount perspective, from a product perspective, um, and I would say also within our newsroom on the USA mm-hmm. Today um, side of the uh, the equation. So what does that mean? Where, where are, are you putting more resources versus uh, fewer resources? Uh, I think there are two areas. The first is going to be within product itself. And so when we think about all of our different digital assets, um, our websites, um, our apps, uh, other uh, ancillary businesses that we've invested in that are product heavy, um, we're seeing a lot of resource and a lot of investment go there. Um, Again, also within the newsroom and the content business itself. And, you know, I think 
what's allowed us to be successful, one of the things that's allowed us to be successful over the few years from a content perspective is these days, and you hear this all the time, and certainly Digiday and others report on the fact that news is a tougher environment, clearly, um, for advertisers to be. It doesn't mean we don't work with advertisers within our news sections, but um, what's allowed us to really thrive has frankly been the investment and the content that we continue to create in other verticals. Sports, so, sports. being the biggest, right? Okay. So USA Today Sports, uh, obviously uh, brand name recognition. Um, it's about a third of our digital audience at this point or those that come to us for sports content. But we also have made investments in life and entertainment and money and tech. Um, and, you know, over time, we'll, we, we will continue to do that both from a product and a content perspective. But mm -hmm. want to be clear that news is still obviously... Um, very but it's harder much to monetize. Business. I mean, harder to monetize. Trump is good for subscriptions, not so much for ads. Correct. Generally. And, and frankly, we have felt less pressure on the national side of the business, more so speaking to USA Today, um, to go out there and figure out mm -hmm. you know, what that consumer model needs to look like, if any. Um, I personally, uh, one man's opinion, am proud of the fact that we still are one of um, you know, a few big national news brands that are employing thousands of journalists that are still making that content accessible to people um, mostly for free. Now, in our local markets, we do charge. Um, so mm -hmm. we now have north of half a million um, digital subscribers within our local marketplaces. But USA Today, today, and I would guess for the foreseeable future, will mm -hmm. um, you know remain free of charge and not be put behind a paywall. I, I want to talk about that, but let's go back to the product point. Mm -hmm. Is this playing catch-up? I mean, was there an underinvestment in product before? I'm saying investment. I mean spending. Mm -hmm. um, and how much is driven by, like everyone's talking about distributed platforms, distributed platforms, and now mm -hmm. everyone is going back to uh, their own and operated sites yeah. and apps and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I don't think we charged it hard uh, as hard, to be honest, on off-platform. That's not to say that, and right. I'm sure we'll get into that, that's not to say that we don't have partnerships with all of the different platforms. But from an owned and operated perspective, um, I think there is a little catch-up happening there. But if you look at more of our mobile products, so whether it's the USA Today news app um, or our mobile web uh, properties, be it USA Today or any of our local properties, um, the product there is fantastic and the engagement and the audience growth and everything we can do from an advertising perspective is, is right there. I think where we're now starting to put a little bit more investment, um, which would probably surprise a lot of people, is more so on the desktop product. And, you know, like many publishers over the past few years, everything was about mobile and yeah. we will continue to nurture and well, you guys had mobile. a very new desktop experience like a few many years, years ago, ago. Correct. now it's see these years just go by they for go me. by fast don't and they? and then i mean that's the thing you come out with something that is is new mm -hmm. and then next thing you know you turn around and you're like mm, that was like five six years ago it happens quickly but we do believe that because there still is a very big audience coming to us via desktop mm -hmm. and the fact that advertisers and a lot of the larger formats that we sell to our advertisers, video engagement, um, you know, we're starting to see clearly there will continue to be an audience shift from desktop to mobile. But you know, it's, it's, it's probably not happening as quickly as we thought it would and maybe starting to level off a little bit. So we believe now is the right time to, for us to, to, to start to think about investing in desktop as well. Yeah, it's interesting because it's something we're tracking in a lot more 
a lot more spending is going into product. A lot more emphasis is going into product. Look, mm -hmm. people, they come on this podcast and they talk and about a lot of different things. But I look at like where people spend their money. Because sure. if you want to like see what's important to people, it's it's where they spend their money. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, it's not a real priority. Correct. And, um, and most of those investments we're making, uh, first and foremost, are about the audience. And so personalization features, things like that are definitely part of the roadmap this year. Um, and, you know, obviously figuring out what the right balance is between that user experience and making sure that there are the right types of opportunities for advertisers. Um, I think part of the product investment, aside from the, the aesthetics itself, um, is going to be more so around how we rely on data to inform decisions around personalization. And then also going back to... Um, when you're talking about personalization, what, what exactly? Because people... Trying to understand what it is that somebody wants to see from us when they come back to the site um, okay. you know, as, as, as often as many okay. of our so users do. not just do. talking about targeting ads. Not just talking about targeting ads. Okay. I would say more so from a <laughs> consumer perspective... And from an advertising perspective, yes, targeting specific audiences, of course, needs to be a part of the equation. Um, but something that we're really excited about, um, some work that kicked off probably tw late 2017 into 2018 and continues until today is figuring out sentiment around a lot of our popular news stories. And what I mean by that is, if it is Rage. a polarizing topic, <laughs> yes, we all would, it, we would, we would acknowledge probably not the best adjacency for if a brand. If news publishers could, could if there was a big uh, market for advertisers wanting to target rage these days, uh, that would be a good thing. It would be all the rage, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But I do very much believe that a lot of the sentiment around news today is anecdotal. And it's based off of a feeling of mm -hmm. my brand probably shouldn't be there. The reality is, if you think about, if you opened up a newspaper in the 60s, yeah. or certainly during the Vietnam era, and the news itself probably wasn't great, but you still had ads from Fortune 500 yeah. brands Thanks. sitting right next to that. And for whatever reason, uh, advertisers are uh, a lot of advertisers are stuck on on this idea of just keep me away from quote unquote politics, right? And and that spreads into pretty much everything. Let's say controversial issues and mm -hmm. it spreads. We hear this, we just had a media buying summit and we heard it repeatedly. I wasn't there, but our reporters told me um, about how, well, this, this covers pretty much everything that news publishers do to some degree. Right. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, one of the things that you had mentioned was, uh, was spending more and investing more, if you mm -hmm. will, in sports and other areas that while, yes, they, they get pulled into politics too, mm -hmm. um, but are, are usually more, um, I don't want to say advertiser safe, but advertisers are more mm -hmm. uh, okay with. Yeah. Yeah, no, the alignment certainly is going to be there more so within sports or entertainment or money or tech versus news. But again, mm -hmm. I want to, I want to emphasize the fact that not all news is bad and we want advertisers to be able to capitalize on news stories that may have a positive sentiment or at least use data to make a more informed decision about where an ad is going to appear on our site. But if we so have use data and try to try to say, hey, this is a happy story. Happy story, yes, um, but there's a lot more nuance about that. A news story might not necessarily be happy, but the sentiment that we might be able to ultimately derive from that story might not be one in which an advertiser should avoid. And so what happens is, 
you know, if you're looking to find a particular audience segment on our network and they may live more in the news sections, we shouldn't we shouldn't restrict the ability to bring advertisers into that environment if we believe the story itself is one right. in which is not going to somehow have a negative impact on their brand. Um, so the other thing is is around sports. I want to talk about that for a little bit, yeah. um, just because we're both Philadelphia Eagles fans. Um, Absolutely. But more so uh, because um, USA Today is really big in sports. The network is. And mm-hmm. I don't think people sometimes recognize that. Explain how big the footprint is. Yeah, no, first I appreciate you saying that because it is very much true. And, you know, as I mentioned before, um, more than a third of our total audience across the network, which we're now hitting about 130 million monthly uniques, comes from sports. And so sports, the way we think about the business is you have the core USA Today sports property, which we're known for our polls and everything um, that we've done there for many years in, in terms of delivering um, great sports content built more so for the fan. Um, and then we also extend that into all of our local markets. So if you are a Detroit Lions fan, obviously you're going to the Detroit Free Press uh, to seek out you know all of the best information about your local team. So that is what we would consider to be more of our owned and operated and on-platform um, sports business, but then we've also stood up over the past couple years a number of standalone properties or um, wire sites. For example, Philadelphia Eagles Wire is mm-hmm. one of our properties. And so we've got a huge audience that engages with us around some of the big leagues, whether it's NFL or NBA. We also have some niche properties like the Big Lead or MMA Junkie, so obviously catering to the UFC fans. Um, and then finally, we have a property we launched launched a few years back called For the Win, Mm -hmm. which is really this interesting collaboration between sports, entertainment, pop culture. It's less so about the box score, more about what's happening off the field, um, but not necessarily covering it um, in any sort of salacious or cynical way, the way other digital uh, native sports properties might. So when okay. you add all of these different pieces together, there really is something there for any sports fan, be it looking to just you know get information on what's happening nationally, what are the big stories of the day, all the way down to how their local team is doing and what the latest stories are within that locker room to some of those more niche right. areas like MMA or um, you know esports or whatever that might look like. So revenue diversification, everyone talks about it when they when they come into this this chamber yes. that we're sitting in. Yes. Um, and I'm sure it's top of mind for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly an ads business, right? Mostly an ads been. business. Yep. Does sports give you more opportunities, and particularly these niche areas uh, of sports, to monetize um, in different ways? It does. Um, there again, no no subscriber model today. Um, exploring some membership model, um, you know, opportunities there. Um, but whether it is a local sports event, um, we have a big high school sports platform, which is very much rooted in getting all of the top, you know, high school athletes in, in, a, in a community together. We bring in local sports heroes and athletes to these events. And of course, there's opportunities for advertisers to be a part of that and sponsors. Um, there are lots of different products that naturally lend themselves to obviously the sports category. And so there are ways we are starting to monetize outside of just advertising. Mm-hmm. So no subs uh, overall across the network. 
in, really? in our local markets. National, so, no. Um, where is the diversification coming from? Is it just ads? Uh, I would say it's ads, also commerce. I think okay. is another area for us that we have put um, you know, a lot of focus behind it. We what does own, that look like for you guys? Yep. So we own a site called reviewed.com. Yep. And so reviewed has for many years, as you would imagine, already been um, in the commerce space through various affiliate partnerships. Obviously, when somebody comes to a site like reviewed, they're already thinking about purchasing a particular type of product. So they want to understand which is the right um, and, and best product for them. But what we've done uh, over the last you know, 12 to 16 months is thinking about how do we leverage the expertise and the editorial reviews um, happening at the reviewed site and then bring that um, and, and, and cross-pollinate that with some of our local properties as well as mm -hmm. USA Today. And so in many cases, data will inform the decision about, about in this part of the country, we think right now are the types of products that people are going to be thinking about. So there's a seasonality factor to that. Um, so we believe just given the size of the audience that we've amassed across the network, you know, we can find those opportunities where um, we can deliver content to somebody that's going to bring them in and get them thinking about making a purchase decision mm -hmm. and then combine that with the infrastructure and the editorial credibility that we have it reviewed. That's where we're starting to see some really nice traction. Is this mostly affiliate? Mostly affiliate. Okay. Yep. Um, commerce is the new affiliate. Commerce is the new affiliate. <laughs> and, and I agree with you. A lot of people are out there saying, yes, commerce needs to be a much bigger part of our revenue diversification plan. Not many can actually pull that off. Well, I just wonder like, whether it can get beyond the incremental bucket for just about the majority of people. Um, <clears throat> it's a nice incremental, mm -hmm. but like the hole that uh, has been left in digital advertising is not going to be filled for most people through commerce. I would agree with that. So that leaves subscriptions, which a lot of people are going to. Mm -hmm. You talked about membership, um, and that's a, a, a variation mm -hmm. on subscription. Yep. Where do you see the opportunity there? I think more in some of those niche areas. So you think about a property like MMA Junkie, again, is there an opportunity to create um, content that we believe we can charge for that's going to give somebody, you know, the inside track to the latest stories or what's happening within the world of UFC. Um, Esports is another category in which we think um, we've got an opportunity to play, especially when you think about, you know, the local component to that and building fan communities around esports across the country. And in many instances, if we are able to deliver value above and beyond what somebody would get today by visiting one of those properties, we do think there are opportunities mm -hmm. um, for folks to come to us and say, we are willing to pay whatever that membership fee is. If, you know, the exchange there is we're getting something that we believe is really premium. Right. Um, the the pivot to paid and, and direct revenue overall seems like a, a very healthy turn for the industry. And mm -hmm. at the same time, I, I have a belief that it won't work um, at the same time for many people. Yep. Um, explain why you wouldn't sort of follow, because there's a lot of following, let's face it, go, that goes on in the industry. Um, and... Why you wouldn't follow and say, you know, we need to do subscriptions. We got to put up a paywall. We'll put a meter on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, again, we are very aggressively pursuing consumer subscription revenue, digital consumer subscription revenue within local, within the local part of Gannett. I do think there are a lot more people today that are recognizing what's at stake in this country in terms of why they need to support 
their local news properties. And so we are very confident that that part of our business will grow more so on the national and USA Today side of it. We're reaching paywall fatigue, right? I, I, I think many are recognizing, including me, that I've got this subscription. I'm now subscribing to the, and, and look, there's, you know, scroll Sleep and there's Digiday other. Sleep Digiday Plus aside from this particular fatigue. Uh, clearly, Digiday Plus is <laughs> okay. happy you. to put down my card. Use podcasts for a 20% <laughs> discount at checkout. Absolutely. We, we are happy to promote that, and we do so often <laughs> internally. Everybody subscribes. Okay. So Get you into an enterprise. Okay, this is my Digiday Plus reminder. Did I mention Digiday Magazine? Yes, we do a quarterly magazine that is available only to Digiday Plus members. We are finishing it right now. There is a gorgeous unicorn on the cover, and she is wearing a very blinged-out necklace that says EBITDA on it. Inside, we have some great pieces, including one I'm finishing now or probably this weekend, on why all the doom and gloom that we tend to dwell on, yes, here on this podcast, is sometimes clouding a lot of the good things happening right now in developing sustainable media models. So, I know you want to read this. Subscribe to Digiday Plus, and you will be able to. Remember to use the code podcast at checkout for a 20% discount. Now back to the episode. The reality is I think we are taking a more realistic approach and understanding that great journalism can't all exist behind a paywall. We are a very inclusive news brand. We service the entirety of the country and are not just focused on the coasts. And that's not a dig at some of our competitors, but the reality is if you look at the numbers and who is coming to other big national news properties, it's not that same sort of geographic mix that you would see across USA Today. So <clears throat> we believe it's important that we continue to make, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as from much a of mission, that is from free a mission possible. standpoint, like you, the uh, a paywall would not completely work, right? I mean, or I mean, just from the business model, I would guess. I I, th I think it's 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 unknown, but in in the in the near term, that is not something that is in the plan for us from a USA Today perspective. And we believe that our advertising business still has a lot more room for growth. And a big part of that, again, is number one, just the audience size. I do believe scale matters. When I hear people say scale does not matter, um, that's, it, that's just not true. At ex least in terms of the advertisers that. that we work with. Explain that. Well, I think if you are a brand today... That I mean, I will say this. Let me just before, I'll preface it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think scale matters. Depend a lot of people saying scale matters have businesses that are not made for scale. Mm -hmm. I mean... Right. I don't like... It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it would be like Digiday, uh, you know, us saying, oh, you know, scale doesn't matter. Well, I mean, of course. I mean, what are we going to like be realistic? Are there going to be 500 million people who are going to read about programmatic advertising right. and subscription programs? Right. But Digiday serves a very specific right. niche. There's different business models. It, well, that's it. And so I would explain argue, it for your business model why sure. scale does matter. Well, I'll explain it. I'll explain it this way. So to the point about Digiday, you've got a niche business that serves a very specific audience. And right. you guys do that very, very well. And there are people that will continue to pay for your products and support the brand. Then you've got on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, a company like Gannett and a brand like USA Today, where there is more than enough volume there for us to continue to grow the core advertising business. And at some point in time, is there a subscription model? Perhaps. 
I don't think that's in the cards for the short term. And so what I would argue is if you're somewhere in the middle today, right? Mm -hmm. And people talk about this all the time, you're in a really tough spot yes. where you can't really charge for the content, but you're not niche to the point um, that you're going to have these specific audiences mm -hmm. that are really going to look to support you and, and, and financially support the brand in various ways. And so I would argue that if you're scaled to the point that we are, there still is a lot of room for advertising revenue growth. So explain the optimist take on the scaled model, because um, a lot of the, the drumbeat of mm -hmm. bad news when it came to to BuzzFeed when mm -hmm. it came to even Vice, although we can argue about what their scale truly is. Yep. Um, Nobody knows, by the way. Huffington Post. A lot of these, at, at least notionally, these are these are scaled uh, digital publishing models, and, yep. and they were cutting, mm -hmm. right? So give me the optimist take, um, because the pessimist take is, hey, look at all these cuts. This is clearly a sign that the scaled model is not doing well. Uh, yes, I would say in, in, in the instances of whether it's BuzzFeed or Vice or insert any other digitally, you know, native media brand, they, in many cases, grew too fast. They invested way too heavily in their business in a lot of, you know, different areas, including employee headcount, things like that. Well, it's the biggest cost, right? It's I the mean, biggest in a cost. media company, if you're going to cut, if you got to get your cost base under control, it's Correct. unfortunately, it's going to Unfortunately, people are going to be part of that, which is clearly unfortunate. But I think when you're in a position where you're riding this rocket ship and your brand has this upward trajectory and you're moving quickly and you're taking outside investment and everything's really exciting and you don't think you're ever going to reach that ceiling... You know, I think that was the case for a lot of these different brands. And I don't sit there and point the finger and say that they did anything wrong. So much of this is circumstantial. But the reality is it couldn't it couldn't last with the amount of shifts that are happening across the industry. Then you take what, you know, you would call more of a, you know, traditional or legacy publishing company like Gannett, where we don't have that outside investment. Clearly, you know, we are dealing with our own set of challenges. But the reality is, I think we have a lot of runway ahead of us to figure out how we continue to evolve both our national and our local businesses. But we don't necessarily have the outside pressure. Yes, we're publicly traded. Yes, we have shareholders. See who owns you, though. Well, I mean, that's, but that's but the reality the is, you know, and this is the point of the conversation in which we talk. We talk about consolidation, and I do think whether you're Vice, whether you're BuzzFeed, whether you're HuffPo, um, part of Verizon now, whether you're Gannett, at some point, this industry, like every other major, you know part of the, the media sector has consolidated, be it radio, newspapers, mm -hmm. television, it's going to be no different for us. And that is not so something more consolidation that, to come. There's no doubt. And I would say you're either the consolidated or you're the consolidator today. And by the way, that can change week to week. Um, but Which are you? Remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you can be both. We can be both. But I, that is not something that, that, I sit there and think about, okay, this is really worrisome in terms of whether we are potentially the acquirer or the acquired in the future. The reality is I think there is a strength in numbers consolidation effect that will happen over the next few years. You know, there's lots of speculation around Group 9 and BuzzFeed, mm -hmm. and there are certainly companies that we've looked at um, that are more... Um, I would say digital, you know, native and in, in, in size and scope. And, you know, who knows where this all goes. But I do think at some point in time, you're going to have to see just less 
independent publishers existing, as much as that might upset people, including me, because I've worked for independent publishers in my past. But the reality is we all can't stand on our own. And I do think that the platform effect that we continue to live through and and certainly um, at times struggle with as publishers, not that it's, it's, it's not going to continue in the future, but I do think a lot of these platforms are going to figure out models that work for publishers. I am optimistic on that. Are you going to put a date that. on that? <laughs> I would never put a date on anything. I love predictions where you don't have a date because then you can just keep playing them out. Yeah. No, that's that's always fun when you don't actually have No, to. but explain this. Let's talk about the platforms. We used to always talk about the platforms before on this podcast, but now we've sort of yep. gone away from that a little bit. But let's go back. Um, you guys never really pub- um, pivoted completely to the platforms and said, oh, Not home page is dead. Yeah. We don't care about our own site. You know, look at our 14 billion um, unmonetized video views. Um, mm-hmm. So first, I mean, that that's kind of gone away, it yep. seems like. I don't know if you get that sense. Uh, gone away, possibly, I think it's shifted. And I use the word shift a lot because three months from now, we could be having the same conversation and the headlines across Digiday and other uh, trade press might indicate the opposite. And okay. I think so much just depends on... I mean, these feed video views that were fleeting and... Yeah. <clears throat> Arguably not all that valuable to building a true brand. That I would agree with, though you would have publishers that will still get out there and say these are these are very effective for us and we are monetizing those, which yeah. I, I don't think is necessarily true. So you are you able to use platforms profitably right now? Uh, I mean, to publish directly on platforms. Yes, I, I think we are. And I think we've demonstrated that whether it's with Facebook Watch um, there are a number of interesting things we are doing with Twitter these days as one of their strategic publisher partners within the news category, where the approach is more so both of us out in the marketplace working with brands to build um, you know, different opportunities uh, that would live obviously on the Twitter platform, but are derivative of our content. Um, like what's an example of that? An example of that could be Super Bowl weekend, you know, USA Today has a number of different sports, you know, video franchises that we produce. And those could, in addition to our own and operated channels, live obviously on Twitter. And there's an opportunity for us to work with Twitter to go out in the marketplace and bring sponsors into those environments. Um, Not to speak on Twitter's behalf, but typically their approach in the marketplace is we have news, we have sports, we have Mm -hmm. entertainment, but they're not leading with specific brands in in the instance of what we're doing with them. um, and, And frankly, they make it very easy for us to get out into the marketplace together and say, what does USA Today Network look like? And what is the opportunity for an advertiser on Twitter's platform. Yeah. How about Facebook? I mean, Facebook has, has been a little bit more open now. I know Campbell Brown keeps like saying, don't trust us, basically. We yep. could change. Don't trust us. Don't trust us. Well, that is the one prediction um, that always holds true, yeah, which is we know they're going to change. I mean, it's ref- I guess it's refreshing, uh, the sort of honesty. I mean, but at this point, like, yep. I think kind of everyone knows that. I mean, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that I, I say trust and that like, doesn't mean that they're necessarily untrustworthy. It's just that, you know, the way... Facebook is operates is it changes so quickly mm-hmm. that it, it it can't it can't you know say hey yeah this is going to be the same in in six months twelve months it's not 
it's not. It never will be. And and I appreciate that Campbell and others are more realistic about those uh, expectations because for many years, whether it was Facebook Live, now Facebook Watch, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think many publishers said, finally, you know, there's an opportunity for us here to produce some great content and actually make money in the process. Um, with the announcement of them, you know, walking away from a lot of their news programming within Watch, last week or earlier this week, I'm losing track of time, that obviously indicates that perhaps Facebook is not the place to go to tune in to, you know, news programming, that is. And you can't convince me, again, my one man's opinion, that that is the platform in which people are going to seek out that kind of programming. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourselves less experimental um, when it comes to, because I mean, we sort of put it under and it's jokingly the pivot to reality but I mean Mm -hmm. people uh, publishers a lot of publishers and not to talk about them as a monolith again but are are being a little bit more hard-headed as far as the business cases that Mm -hmm. come to the next big thing like you know TikTok is the new thing like I don't think we're going to see every single publisher rush to do some sort of TikTok programming without a real business model behind it right I think many would love to be there and, and stand up their own version of TikTok. By the way, I would put us in that category, and that's something that uh, you know we would hope to aspire to. But you're right. I would say we are very much experimental, but we are also very calculated and I think more conservative in our approach. And again, going back to my scale comments from before, we have not been forced to go off platform the way many other publishers who have sort of reached max capacity have within their advertising business, for example, or even to drive additional subscriptions. We've not been forced to do that and to go off platform um, as much as others have. Does that mean we don't want to be there? Absolutely not. Whether it's YouTube or Facebook, um, you know, Watch or Instagram or any other platform, Twitter, we want to be there, but we don't need to force ourselves mm-hmm. to be there. And absolutely, if we're going to be there these days, there has to be revenue justification behind that. I, I think there's very little appetite on our end these days for experimentation for the sake of seeing where it goes. How about VR? You guys were into VR. We were. Um, uh, where is that right now? And it, um, Because that is, at least from my standpoint, um, it's kind of... It's kind of far out there. It's cooled off a little bit. I don't see. I don't. Yeah. See, I don't see a lot of people wearing a Oculus on the subway. Nope. Uh, that is one I would acknowledge. I mean, we we placed a bet there. We charged pretty hard at VR back in 2016. We saw success um, from both an audience standpoint, more so extending through 360 as opposed to true VR. Um, viewing experience, but we also were one of the first, if not the first, to bring VR advertising um, together in a way where you know we created an ad unit that could only live in a VR environment. Now, I think the bet that we placed there certainly um, did not pan out the way we had wanted it to in terms of, as you just uh, alluded to, um, audience adoption. You know, it is a little awkward to walk around with some sort of device on your face (laughs) and people looking at you while you're pretending you're, you know, trying not to fall off a tightrope while walking over the Grand Canyon, which is something we did. Um, So I think there is certainly a a time and place for VR. And there are brands that are still very much experimenting with technologies like VR, 
less so from an advertising and messaging perspective and more so bringing people into their environment or their store from a retail perspective Mm -hmm. or a product. But obviously, AR is also a big part of that consideration these days. Um, We have done some really interesting work there, including the Oscars the other night. We um, created a AR experience that took you behind the the scenes of the Oscars, behind stage, um, being able to build out, um, you know, certain, you know, custom experiences that, Mm -hmm. that would get you in a place where you feel like you were there. Still doing things in the AR, VR, VR, AR arena, but not as big of a bet as before. I, I would say that's accurate. Okay. And, and going back to your comment before about if, if we are going to experiment, uh, you know, is that done for the sake of just experimentation or um, does there have to be some sort of return on that if we're going to enter that space? And I think it's more so the latter these days. Okay. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. And thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. It helps our podcast be discovered. And if you would like to give us some feedback, write to me at brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at bmarcy on Twitter. And you can tweet like Taylor Lorenz, who had this to say about her appearance on the Digiday podcast. My biggest career moment by far has been appearing on the Digiday podcast with at Marcy. Literally every meeting I have, they bring it up. Family members have reached out. I've gotten more notes about it than when I've done the Today Show or Good Morning America combined. My God, Taylor. Um, thank you very much. It was fun to uh, learn about what Finstas are. Um, so please do go to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, we got one recently from Report This 505. Um, that's a great that's a great handle. Um, and Report This 505 had this to say uh, in their review. Good dissection of the media business. As the news media slowly transitions into digital formats, this podcast breaks it down for those seeking to understand. Bit, bit more understated than Taylor, but still, it's pretty good. We'll, we'll take that. Um, thank you, Report This 505. Um, we appreciate that five-star rating. And finally, Scott Armstrong took to LinkedIn, my favorite social network, and said, absolutely loving podcasts, the podcast, a huge amount of insights out there. If you're in the media and communications industry and you are not listening to the Digiday podcast with Brian Marcy, you are missing out. I totally agree, Scott. Um, Very prescient. Um, Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode.